Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. In this podcast, your host Edmar Ferreira will be joined by expert guests as they dive into the world of deep tech. We are telling the stories of the heroes who are taking real risks to give us a future of flying cars, virtual reality, robots, and space exploration. Enjoy the show. Today's guest is Jocko Vogan, co-founder and chief scientific officer of CB Therapeutics, where he designs and leads large projects to engineer microorganisms to produce high-value molecules, both natural and new to nature, for use in therapeutics, nutraceuticals, animal-free food, and more. Jacob and Cher started CB Therapeutics in their garage, and after several lab expansions and going through Y Combinator, the startup is now housed in a 16,000-square-foot state-of-the-art facility with a growing and experienced team outside San Diego, California. Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. We are here today with Jacob from CB Therapeutics. It's a pleasure to have you here, Jacob. First, let's go to the future. Tell us a little bit about how the world looks like when you guys are wildly successful, how the world changes and how your vision become a reality. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, Edward. I think what we're looking forward to in the future is where biomanufacturing is really uh, key for all the ingredients and products that people are taking for therapeutics, nutraceuticals, supplements, uh, their medicines, even their day-to-day products, even in different consumer goods. The reason for this being that it's scalable, it's portable, it's sustainable. Uh, you're able to standardize processes. You're able to make sure that there's no pesticides or heavy metals. You're able to almost democratize the way people are accessing uh, therapeutics and medicines. You can start this up pretty much anywhere. There could be brewery equipment and downstream uh, purification equipment uh, to make sure something is standardized. And in particular, I think about CBD from cannabis. Uh, when we first started this company, CBD was going for about $1,000 a gram. And it looks like you know a gram might be you know your daily dose, right? So at the time, people would go broke trying to take CBD. So in the future, I think you're going to see a lot more access to uh, compounds and therapeutics and supplements that people want now, but they're getting it from somewhat shady sources online, like uh, from like Amazon dealers, from supplements that you've never heard of uh, before, and plant extracts that you know probably haven't been tested for all the, the toxins or pesticides or heavy metals. And with our process and you know other people's process too, I mean, this is a, an emerging bioeconomy for biomanufacturing where we can take microbes and program them to turn cheap feedstocks like table sugar into high value molecules. So I, I see everybody's like, you know, aspects of life in terms of products that they use for dishwasher soap to uh, laundry detergent to uh, dyes and like food coloring and food itself in terms of like uh, the food tech applications are, are huge as well, especially in terms of climate change and then making sure that uh, we have a sustainable way of making food for a global population. Do you think that the same technology that you would apply to produce right now would be used to create other substances as well, the same platform, or you need to go around and, and, and change it? So synthetic biology, its strongest suit is for natural products, but it is also possible to have new to nature compounds. So things that are normally made through chemical processes that might involve toxic chemicals and be environmentally unfriendly, you can program organisms to make a wide variety of compounds. And there's different ways of doing this. You can have, say, baker's yeast, which uh, is our preferred organism. It smells great. Everybody likes it for baking bread and uh, brewing beer and 
and wine. And we can program yeast to basically eat sugar, break that down into uh, basic building blocks, and then build those blocks back up into complex molecules that can then be uh, purified. And, and we can you know, make sure that's standardized. We can unlock very rare compounds that right now are just out of reach. But, you know, say, you know, I think everybody, especially for like headlines for like scientific uh, publications, you see like this new drug has like anti-cancer potency and, or it's like, you know, some uh, new compound has, you know, the best antioxidant profile I've ever seen, like all these type of headlines, but you know, like you can never get the compound. <laughs> it's not available in the market. And so there is a, we see that as the case. Initially, it was for like uh, the common cannabinoids like CBD. And now we see that being the case for the minor cannabinoids, things like THCB or, or CBN, TPC, and so forth. So I think unlocking access to these compounds that people want is going to be vitally important. In what stage you guys are, are right now with, with this technology? So right now, we have multiple projects ongoing. So initially, we started with uh, cannabinoids, and we've um, expanded uh, greatly since then uh, into various uh, psychedelic uh, therapeutic molecules. This includes tryptamines, methylamines, uh, various other alkaloids, also into uh, food dyes and uh, alternative uh, food applications. That can include proteins, fats, even uh, heme associated with myoglobin and hemoglobin and various other compounds. So what we're doing now, if we're... As one example, we have a joint venture with the Thai Life Sciences, which is the, the largest uh, public pharmaceutical uh, company that's involved in psychedelic uh, therapeutics. And uh, we formed a joint venture with them called Tripogenics. And basically what we're doing there is revamping the supply chain. You know, they have powerful compounds that are going to be fantastic for depression, addiction, and so forth. And if we want to make sure that these compounds are available, you know, for FDA clinical trials, get them in the patient's hands, and, you know, once we have that molecule, we can also then uh, modify it and maybe we can find a better version of it in terms of uh, if there's a toxicity profiles or half-life and so forth. And, you know, it, it's basically like if there's like a, a miracle drug in the Amazon rainforest, we don't want to destroy the rainforest trying to harvest that compound. Instead, we want to program our yeast to make that compound from simple feedstocks. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. With the CBD part, you are able to produce it or you are still testing the process, the genetic engineering and things like that? Yeah. So in, in terms of the engineering part, the last part, uh, it's almost like a process of like it, it can never end. You can always increase the, the yield and the tighter. There's going to be new discoveries. And like, you know, as scientists, we're always trying to see like, can we make it better? Like if we're making uh, these, uh, say, cannabinoids or any other compound uh, in our um, engineered uh, organisms, then you know we kind of want to understand parts of uh, well, you know what's making uh, it work at all, what's uh, affecting the metabolic uh, flux to increase yield. So it could be like endless. But uh, yeah, to get to your first part of the question, like yeah, we've made several cannabinoids and other compounds uh, in the lab. In terms of manufacturing, you know we're we're really keen on um, having an R and D focus. And making sure that there's the right market conditions to actually deploy the, the manufacturing. So you think about something like uh, CBD. And again, when we first started, it was very expensive. And we, you know, our call to action really was to make that affordable. But it also turned out, you know, that the cannabis plant is a very productive uh, plant in terms of making uh, biocannabinoids. And I think a lot of people were just like throwing away the CBD for a while, like uh, the plants that uh, had it, like the hemp plants. And I think once people started seeing that there was actually some usage for it, 
luckily for everybody, like the prices started dropping, right? People started actually collecting the CBD instead of just uh, focusing on the more psychoactive, uh, psychoactive uh, THC. So in this case, you know, CBD might not make the, the most sense, but it depends on the, the locality and the regulation. Sometimes a yeast-based or, or a synthetic biology-based solution also makes sense based on sometimes regulations. Like some uh, localities or, or countries really don't want you know, cannabis plants uh, yeah. around, but they might uh, tolerate you know, a, a biotech solution to that. So minor cannabinoids, other compounds that uh, have an economic, like a really good like outcome, like there's a good uh, product market fit, then um, then we start really going forward with you know, production and like scaling up. And we have a very nice 16,000 square foot facility uh, here in Carlsbad in uh, northern San Diego in uh, California. And, um, you know, we have uh, a bit of capacity here. It's a very nice location. But the, the scales of economy, especially for something that you need, like a gram might be a dose, like you need a very large facility. So that's one nice thing about our technology as well is that it's portable. Um, so there are contract manufacturers around the world and, you know, also locally that have a capacity that goes into you know, 100,000 liter per vessel so like production capacity. You and, could like focus on, on like the synthetic biology part, get it into the production and then you could use like third parties to let's say like infrastructure building like scaling up but there are like suppliers in the, the market that like offer the, the fabrication itself like the fermentation the tanks everything like you can just like develop the product and then yes. use them to scale up and sell do, do you think about like doing that go, going to the product and then Using third parties to make, manufacture yourself, or you guys are more thinking about like getting to that point to have a product and going to like a farmer or or like a, a seller in the end. Like, what what are you talking about that? So mostly on on that last point for our, our kind of a more internal projects where we have, for instance, for some of the psychedelic related molecules, it's like we you know, we see a, a very great market for this. Like, um, and we would, maybe we would try to chop that around or we would go, you know, kind of almost like a B2B type model. Like this is, you know, a fantastic ingredient. We can scale this up, we you know, co-commercialize. So we're, we're very flexible because, you know, we love the science of what we're doing uh, here and we want to make sure that it's constantly funded <laughs> as well. Yeah. So we're not like too rigid whether if we, um, you know, do the scallop yourself or we uh, co-commercialize it with a, a partner because we just love to see that the progress and we want to see, um, you know, our work in uh, products that are actually beneficial for people uh, out of the real world. Yeah. Synthetic biology is a really interesting field overall. Like the whole idea of like actual programming biology, it's, it's, it's fascinating. How did you get into it? Like how, where, where did you find it first? Like what's the story there? Like how one, one day wake up and they said, huh, I want to program a life itself and make things with it. Like how, how, how idea like that <laughs> come to your mind? Yeah. So, so my background has always kind of been around, uh, you know, health span and longevity, but actually more so from uh, the basic research, research side. So my, uh, my first projects, uh, when I was a, a research associate at UCSF was looking at gap junctions and uh, investigating the, the function of how cells communicate with one another and engineering those cells, uh, especially for, cardiac diseases and try to understand that, that model. And then in, uh, in grad school and in um, postdoc, I focused on you know, mechanisms of uh, telomere elongation and uh, the formation of this enzyme called telomerase and how that's tightly controlled and 
you know, there's a lot of genetic and protein engineering involved with that and basically making synthetic constructs in some way and minimizing and making a more efficient uh, enzyme for this type of um, uh, reaction. So I've always been around things that are related to health span and longevity. That's kind of been my, my priority. But I've also had a keen interest in anything that might like, help people like now in terms of supplements and compounds. My dad passed away a couple of years ago. You know, he was always like taking medications and supplements and, you know, he needed a solution like right then and there for a lot of his uh, you know, symptoms. So actually with my background in like genetic and protein engineering, I had, um, you know, pretty much my best friend from UC Davis, we were um, roommates at our undergrad. So back in, uh, way back in 2004 to 2008, my friend, uh, Cher, he, um, he was involved in biochemistry. He stayed in the, the Bay Area after we both graduated. And then he started working for uh, Steep Hill, which is a cannabis uh, testing laboratory. And so he was testing all these strains and he would constantly see CBD. And there was no real interest for it back then. And, you know, he really had this really keen uh, business insight and also, you know, personal insight as well that, like, this is a very useful compound. Like, the, the way that we're potentially getting from plants, like, it's expensive now. There's pesticides, there's heavy metals. Has to be a better way of doing this. And he ended up coming down to San Diego to get his MBA. And we stayed in touch. And, you know, throughout uh, like 2015, 2016, we kind of got together and started, um, you know, planning out how to actually go about this in terms of uh, the biology. And then we kind of just got started from there. And even though we were like, you know, housemates in our, our, our 20s, now we're, we're also housemates again in our 30s uh, <laughs> for this uh, startup. Uh, we haven't killed each other yet, uh, and we still get along fine, uh, which is great. So it was just that, that combination, right? And I think, it, you know, we're, yeah. you know, Sharon and I are both very lucky to have uh, each other in this. You know, I see that there's solo founders out there, uh, of course, but, you know, biotech is uh, very complex, very expensive. Like, it's great to have complementary skills for raising money that, you know, technical competence. And he, he did have a background also in, uh, you know, cannabis lab testing, right, which is great from the analytical side. So initially, you know, I was focused on the biology and then making sure that we can at least get to some prototype stage yeah. and then, you know, see what we can do in terms of the IP space and then raise money and then build it up from there. So that is kind of how it got started. It's really coming together with a complementary set of skills. And then, you know, Sharon and I already had that very long years of experience and trust in each other uh, as co-founders that uh, we'd like to give it a shot. And, you know, it's kind of a like once in a lifetime opportunity to try and you found the startup and like yeah. a very hard and very important uh, you know, biotech startup. Just, with, just uh, a, best friends. So just a segue on that. Like, why start a company in the first place? Why not remain researching in a lab? Like, what, what, like, bites you to decide to not go like full on on an academic career and instead going into entrepreneurship and start a company? Like, what? What was your reasoning on that, on that side? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's tricky because I, you know, I love the the lab I was in, and then um, my mentor, she's fantastic, uh, Dr. Kathleen uh, Collins. She also has a very entrepreneurial mindset and has some very important uh, startups ongoing as well. It was just something that seemed like really exciting to just to, to co-found it yeah. with my my friend and just work on some projects that I thought were exciting and very important. So just one thing: you took this into account. When you chose her or not, the fact that she had this entrepreneurial bent. Just curious. Oh, 
You know, she's just a really great mentor. You know, when we go through the, the grad school program at Berkeley, I do rotations, and I was very fortunate to rotate in you know several great labs, and it was very hard uh, to pick initially. But um, you know, the Kathy just, you know, she made sure that you know you know how to perform the science, like you're publishing, like you're getting things done. So I think it's more that um, that mindset of like we're not just sitting around in grad school and not publishing or being productive, like you're you're trying to have actionable steps and move the projects forward. And, you know, she's big on giving opportunities uh, for growth. And I, I really appreciate that. I've been very fortunate, I would say, to have very fantastic mentors uh, as well, which uh, I think has been very important, uh, especially for, you know, when I've like supervised people during like grad school or now you know, running uh, the lab portion of the, the biotech here. So I think mentorship is a key importance for academia and training people. And I've been lucky to have great mentors and I'm trying to pass that forward now. Yeah, I see that some types of, of uh, mentors in labs tend to kind of produce crops of entrepreneurs. Like you almost can see some specific labs and specific mentors with like producing a lot of people who end up going up and starting companies while other labs tend to not be that type of, of things. It's, it's, it's funny to see that you can have almost line, line ages of people coming from those labs and starting companies and all of this, not so much. So it's, it's interesting to see this, this kind of patterns. Yeah. yeah, I think you definitely need to come from a lab that uh, you're being pushed uh, or at least the expectation is that you're pushing yourself because, you know, as a, a founder, like it's not, <laughs> you have to do like everything is wear multiple hats. You have to you know, take on a lot of different stress, a lot of uh, context switching as well. And uh, you just need a, you know, that kind of mental fortitude. I mean, of course, we want to take care of our mental health, but you also just need to be you know, resilient. Uh, so. Yeah. And what did surprise you the most starting this company? Like, what what you didn't expect, or what did you learn doing this, and and, and you changed your mind about after starting this company? So I, I think a, a big aspect is you know. The, the markets change quite a bit. You know, when uh, we first started with CBD, like, you know, that was kind of like a, also like a passion project. Like we really wanted uh, our product out there. And then you look at the market conditions and the price uh, for CBD has dropped so much, which is overall a great thing, right? It's fantastic. But it's, uh, I think it's just starting to stay ahead of the curve. So we, we it's not quite pivoting, but we expanded, you know, the, the markets that we we're going after. And in some ways, a similar niche, like, you know, initiative that the cannabis products um, being something that, you know, big pharma kind of stayed away from uh, for a while. Uh, and now investigating a lot more. And then, you know, trying to be early with, um, you know, psychedelics as well, which now, uh, you know, has had a huge um, boom of interest uh, for good reason. And then, you know, just trying to uh, make sure we're kind of like up to date on the interesting projects and uh, making sure that the market conditions are, are favorable for what we're working on, because we want to make sure that, you know, the the company uh, is successful and then uh, people's projects are funded. That's another aspect that, you know, as scientists, we, we love our, our project. We get passionate about it. We dive deep, want to solve these problems, understand uh, these systems and produce these uh, you know, very important compounds. And we want to make sure that uh, you know, we can kind of see the completion of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that when, when I look at biotech companies, the fact that you are working on a, like on a base technology or a framework that you can slightly pivot in other directions tends to be a really good uh, good primitive or a good sign. Because sometimes if you are if you are too narrow with your team and then the first idea didn't 
penalty, you kind of screwed. But if you are, yeah. are using some type of underlying framework that could be applied to other types of problems or other types of things, you have more flexibility in the long term. It's finding the right, like have a good team and you have a good set of tools and, and, and you can start like going around and figure it out which, which way you, you can deliver value to the market. It's, it's good. And talking about market and raising capital, like one of the things that I think the hardest part of deep tech startups is that it takes a lot of time to actually deliver something. So because the, the research and like the loop of feedback of actually delivering something takes a lot of time. So you can't like use signals like revenue so soon. So it's delayed. So you don't have that type of signal like revenue or users or whatever to signal that you are progressing towards something. Like how do you guys show some type of progress or, or traction to investors at large? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And it's true. Like if we're starting from scratch, like the, the time and the capital investment to uh, get to say um, a program organism to make your competent interest is quite long. And that's initially where we started, right? When we're still working on the cannabinoids, we didn't have uh, anything really except for an idea and then um, you know, started to get traction uh, over time. Uh, now that's not necessarily the, the case and it's a lot easier because we do have the, the precedent. So now if you want to make a, another rare cannabinoid, it's much easier. Like that's going to be like a, a couple of months versus say initially like um, you know, a year or so. So initially it, it really is a selling people on the, the vision. Like, you know, this is you know, people that are a little bit more experienced in biotech. They know that it is, does take a while. So I think you need to find experienced uh, investors that are kind of used to you know, waiting, right? Because it's going to take a while for uh, making the prototypes, being able to confirmation, start making samples. Uh, and then the iteration cycle for uh, biology can be quite uh, long sometimes, you know, compared to uh, computer programming. But once we have that precedent, then, you know, the, the platform itself is more powerful. Yeah. So we can now apply the platform to a lot of other compounds. And the more compounds we apply to, then it's a positive feedback loop. And then it gets more and more powerful. That's why... You know, you think about like uh, like Ginkgo uh, Bioworks has worked on a lot of different projects, and I'm sure their platform also can like you know take on many different compounds uh, as well. The same true for any other biotech, and same is true for us. And our platform is so versatile now. We've tackled so many different compound types. Like it's much easier to go to um, from target compound consumption to say a sample, and then of course there's another stage of like you know the techno-economics for you know scale up and manufacturing and. Finding uh, that end customer, whether it's another business or uh, eventually maybe a B two C model. How do you see new techniques or new companies or new things going around to accelerate that process of developing and, and working with biology? I think that most people, like a lot of people from like the computer science background, sometimes don't understand how hard actual biology is in terms of like how. If you are frustrated about the bug that you yourself put in your code and it was your fault, uh-huh. you will be immensely frustrated trying to program biology, biology because the bug could be not be your fault at all. It could be some other thing that's happening and you don't you would never figure out what happened because it's so more complex. So so like the the computer actually was built for you to succeed at programming it. Biology was not built so that you are able to program it. Actually, it was not. It doesn't care. 
<laughs> the code, yeah. the computer actually care was made to care. Like it's it's trying to help you program it. Like the biology is not that simple. It's not like like the cell don't want to be programmed actually for you. So you need to do a lot of extra work to make it to make it happen. So you, how do you see the evolution of tools to program biology? Like, what do you see any new interesting things coming along? Like since you started, it's becoming easier. What tools we have available now that we didn't have in the past, and what tools are coming now that could be accelerant of that? Yeah, I think you're seeing like now like some headlines of you know several groups are like you know, looking at you know, AI design of proteins and um, you know making a totally novel enzymes uh, through um, you know, novel amino acid sequences. And I think those have you know, great potential for um, you know, certain applications, right? It really depends on the context. Because uh, when you're dealing with a very long pathway to reach your end compound, and if you're doing that in a living organism, there's a lot to take, to take into account shortly. But um, you know, if you have like a reaction that's like one enzyme step or several, then designing you know, novel enzymes and improving the function like through, say, AI or uh, some of these new tools that are developing, that can be uh, quite promising. Like that could be great. Even if you had like, say, say you have like a like 20 directly involved enzymes in your, your pathway and you have like one or two clear bottlenecks and designing around those could be very beneficial for increasing the, the entire. For designing whole pathways, I think we're quite, uh, not quite there. And also depends on the actual you know, proteins or enzymes that need to be engineered. You know, some form of multimeric structures, some uh, translational modifications would be very important that might not be accounted for. Uh, there's a lot of complexity there, but I, I do see this uh, being um, like a very interesting growing field for speeding things up. You know, the, the biggest um, you know, tech drivers, I think, for synthetic biology so far have been an increase in uh, genomic sequencing, so next-gen sequencing to actually figure out the existing uh, pathways for compounds, uh, or at least providing us the data where we can figure out those uh, pathways. Also, the, the lowering cost of gene synthesis. Because that has been a huge limitation for her for almost forever until the recent years, where now it's getting down to like you know seven cents a, a base pair for gene, uh, which is fantastic. And then uh, you know genetic engineering tools. You know, working with uh, microorganisms uh, like yeast, uh, there's been traditional tools that have been working great for uh, quite a while. But you know, other uh, folks in like uh, you know, engineering more complex cells, like mammalian cells, like the gene editing uh, techniques that are coming out are are very powerful. So I, I think it's you know. It, there's so many things coming together that there's going to be, uh, you know, there hasn't been a biotech boom really yet. I think it's still coming. Like this is, this is fantastic outlook for the biotech industry for all these new tools and the, the costs coming down for our essential consumables for like genes yeah. and uh, plasmids and, and so forth. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of curves, positive curves, I think related to synthetic biology going on. I think that we didn't like hit like a threshold yet. But I can see clearly that's becoming easier and easier and easier. And, 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 and in the sense that when I say easier, I don't think it will never become actually easy. It's just because it has been for a long time close to impossible. And now we are moving from close to impossible to more like manageable, I would say. Not easy, but yeah. manageable, doable, I would say. It's a good, it's a good way to, to put it. In. Like, I think we are on the, on the right track on that. And would you have any advice for someone starting like a, bio, uh, a biotech or, or even a general deep tech company? Yeah, I would make sure that, um, you know, you try to think about what it would actually take to get enough um, traction to, to raise the funds because it's so expensive, right? And uh, we 
got this started on a shoestring budget, really just to make sure that the, the vision had some uh, <laughs> some some data to back it up, yeah. uh, where we can actually uh, afford uh, actual lab, you know, a real lab and like um, hiring uh, team members and so forth. So with the biotech one, you know, like what is your almost like MVP mode? What is your minimal viable uh, like uh, data or story? that can get you uh, the funding where you can actually uh, start getting some real traction and, um, you know, get some data and, and, you know, people that are starting academic labs probably have a lot more uh, resources, uh, obviously, especially if the the PI is involved with it. So I think that's a a great aspect because there's so much involved with setting up a a working laboratory and, you know, we kind of have it uh, easy relatively because we're uh, mostly using uh, microorganisms, but, you know, folks that are using, uh, say, gene editing and they manipulate mammalian cells, that can get very expensive. So I, I would approach it from if you have that vision of going for a startup in the biotech industry, like what do you need to actually get started and uh, try to lower that cost as much as possible and then uh, just have a good story, find uh, investors that are used to investing in biotech that know it takes a little while, that you're going to need some funding, and then you can get to the next level where you can set up a lab and hire a team and, or even, you know, rent space at, um, almost like those co-op uh, type R and D facilities where you can rent a bench and get started. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. We are heading to the end. I have like my final couple of questions. First, do you have any recommendation for us of any type of media book, movie, TV show, anything like any recommendations for us? Uh, related to the, the startup or oh, anything? Oh, there, there's so many, uh, so many uh, good shows out there. I don't know if I can. Uh, could be a no, book. <laughs> could be a book as well, if you want to. Actually, I, I feel like a movie that hasn't like really got that much praise as much as it should would be uh, "The Fountain" uh, by Darren Aronofsky. Oh, really good. One. So it's a, a yeah. very uh, yeah, yeah. That's a, a good, great visuals, great uh, music as well. But it also has this, uh, you know, medical researcher, right? And that, yeah, yeah. And he's very intense on uh, solving uh, solving a, a cancer problem. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's a really interesting movie. It, it doesn't get. I don't know why it's not that well known for sure. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's pretty good. And my last one of my favorites. My last question: If you could send a message to just one single message to everybody on earth, what would it be? Yeah, I think everybody deserves the opportunities to improve their health and ideally increase their lifespan and their loved ones as well. And I think whatever efforts we can take to support this, like there's no greater problem, right? I mean, people's health matters the most. And then obviously with our uh, longevity and limited lifespan. So I think, uh, you know, cultivate positivity while also, uh, you know, do what we can terms of actions to, um, you know, kind of combat these problems of just being uh, uh, alive. What can we do to address health problems, make sure people are having um, as happy and fulfilling lives as we can uh, make for ourselves. Oh, great. Great. Thank you so much, Jacob. It was like really a pleasure to talk to your company. In a couple of years, we can talk again to see how things are progressing and also in synthetic biology channel. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Edvar. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Deep Tech Show. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Deep Tech Daily to keep updated on what's next.